Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading is from Exodus 24:12 and 2 Corinthians 3:15 to 18. At the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please let's respond by saying thanks be to God. Exodus 24:12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. 2 Corinthians 3, 15-18 Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Demo, for that reading. And now it's time for us to actually go into the preaching of God's word. And let me just say a word of prayer before we begin. Lord God Almighty, we need you, O Lord, as we delve into something that will no doubt stretch our minds, but we know that you do have a word for us today. And so, Lord, we ask that you speak. Speak, O God, through my lips, O Lord. Let my lips utter truth that come from your throne of grace. Help me not to say what you will not want me to say. And help me to say what you want me to say. And I pray, O God, that for the people that are listening, you would open their hearts by the Holy Spirit to make what has been said clear. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, my Lord, we pray. Amen. So thank you. Welcome. I don't know if you are here for the first time with us um, and or maybe you've not joined us for a while and you're returning. We're so happy to have you back. And you've caught us right in the middle of a three-part series where we're looking at the intersection between Christianity and technology. My name is Femi Oshone. I'm lead pastor of City Church. And I want to tell you something about myself. I like food. I really like food. And my wife and I, we like food from other parts of the world, particularly spicy food. We started uh, Vietnamese food about two, three years ago. It was wonderful, but our favorite is still Thai food with all its flavors and the spices and all of those things. But having said all of that, I am a Niger boy. I love Niger food. In fact, as far back as when I was growing up, I know I've always loved Buka food. Buka food, like it has to be done a certain way, smelled a certain way, served in a certain kind of plate. And nowadays, you know, you have all these modern Bukas and all that. They have AC and all of that. Which kind of Buka really has an AC, right? And one of the things I loved about it was the Yalasi, the main woman, the mama of the place, how she used to sit down regularly, you know, to try to pick out the kind of meat that you want. My favorite was always the soft, large bokoto. Look at it. Oh my gosh. So nice. Okay, sorry, back to the Bible. So the thing about, another thing I noticed about those women is how they handled the pots. How they handle the pot. What do I mean by that? If I take you back to last week, what did we say technology was? We said technology is the human activity of using 
tools to transform God's creation for practical purposes. The human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical purposes. Now notice that the woman would have God's creation, the ingredients, right? But also, she's trying to transform it into something for what, for a purposeful use. She'll transform these ingredients into soup for the practical purpose of filling me up, right? But then, what was the means through which she did that? What was the tool? What was the technological tool? It was the pot. It was the pot that she used to transform the ingredients, the food, to very nice soup for the practical purpose of filling people up. Now back to what I noticed. They used to handle this pot in a way that fascinated me. Most of them could hold this pot for 30 seconds, 20 seconds, right? Very hot pots. And if I put my hand on it, really within two seconds, I'm going to jump up. How were they able to do that? You know why? Over a period of time, the more they handled this pot, their hand became much more resistant and tougher and thicker so that it could be resistant to the heat. In other words, the same pot that transformed God's creation of the ingredients uh, into food was the same um, to, uh, uh, technological tool that was transforming her. The, the same technology that transformed God's creation also transforms its users. We shouldn't miss that point. Because this happens with all forms of technology. And actually, what you find is that in many ways, the technology is rewiring us now in the present. And what we're going to look at today is how, you know, the form, different forms of technology transform us. And then after, we'll see how some transform us not for good, but also we'll then see how the transformative part of technology also points us to the gospel of Christ. Now, I should give you a little bit of warning. This will stretch you, this sermon will stretch you. It will be a bit lengthy, but I know we're up to it because sometimes it is good to have our minds stretched, isn't it? And that's why we're going to be looking at this sermon called Rewiring of the Present. Rewiring of the Present, and we're going to consider it in three different, uh, three, three different headings. One, transformation as a destination. Transformation to the wrong destination and transformation to the right destination. Transformation as a destination transformation to the wrong destination and transformation to the right destination. So let's start from uh, the first one, transformation as a destination. If you remember last week, we looked at Genesis 1 to 6. We looked at Adam and Eve, we looked at Cain, and then we looked at Noah. If you fast forward down Noah's descendants, uh, the, it came to a guy called Abraham, and God made a promise to this Abraham and said, you see the curse that I put in Adam and Eve, and later uh, to guys at the... Um, in the Tower of Babel, I'm going to use you and your descendants, your offspring, to undo that curse. And part of the way I'm going to do that is a nation will rise from you, will come from you, from your children and your children's children and all those things. This nation was a nation called Israel. Centuries after Abraham, they were under slavery in Egypt. And they were there for about 400 years until God rose and um, uh, brought about a deliverer called Moses. Moses came, delivered them from Egypt, took them through the Red Sea, and eventually brought them to the region of Sinai where there were, it was a wilderness, but there were mountains. And in that place, God told Moses, I want to now make a covenant with my people Israel. Now for that to happen, come to the top of the mountain and I am going to tell you some things, give you the stipulations of the covenant that you will now take back to them. Now, 
what was in that covenant had a lot to do with technology. We won't go into that, but from the way God told him how they were going to sow different kinds of material to certain building, uh, building structures they were going to make, gold, silver, all of those things. But I'm more concerned not with the content of um, the law, that's the law covenant that God gave, but how it was given. And so that takes us to Exodus 24, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come to me, Come up to me to the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. That I have written. That statement itself was, from a technological standpoint, a revolutionary and incredible statement. And you ask me why. It doesn't seem so immediately, but there is a reason why. Let me take you through a little bit of history about human communication. You see, human beings have always communicated with, with each other, but it hasn't always been in the same way. For instance, a long time ago, if you wanted to get knowledge about anything, knowledge always resided in the mind of the particular person. It wasn't outside of the mind. And so if you wanted to know something, you asked somebody about it. If you wanted to get the most accurate information, you go to the oldest person in the village who has accumulated the most knowledge over a period of time. But notice that it wasn't, the, the knowledge always resided in the person. That means that if there was knowledge that somebody had not communicated in their lifetime and they died, the knowledge died with them. And so the need to extend the knowledge beyond the minds of the people became necessary. And so started how we communicate with ourselves beyond that. So the first thing you'll see and you see this on your screen, examples of this on your screen, is the first form that came was cave art. That is, people were scribbling things in caves to communicate something to people that will come after. They were using art to communicate meaning. And you can see the first one that was in France, probably some people, uh, the very first one that we know, probably about 15,000 years ago. And then we have another uh, from Argentina as well. Now, the problem with that was that you, it took, you are not always sure what the person meant. And so the next thing that gave rise to was what we call hieroglyphics or pictograms. These were symbols that were used to communicate certain aspects or emotions or certain ways we feel. You put it together, it was an array, different symbols that were just communicating different kinds of concepts. And so you put that together, you could actually form sentences and paragraphs or communicate a whole new concept. Now, if you don't know what they are like, as you can see the example of one, think of them as the ancient form of emojis. That's exactly what they were, right? We use emojis now to show we're angry, to show we're sad, to show we're happy, show something is funny. That's exactly what hieroglyphics were or pictograms. But one of the things you notice about emojis is they're almost infinite. You can keep adding more and more symbols. And unlike our alphabet characters that are like 26, the, thing, the problem with hieroglyphics is that you could have over th thousands of symbols. And so it was very difficult to learn. But notice what hieroglyphics are. They were symbols that were used to communicate concepts or meanings. And then about 3,600 uh, 3, years to 4,000 years ago, in the region of Canaan, Sinai, and Egypt, somewhere around there, as you can see on the screen, in that region, a technological revolution began. What was it? Some people were able to now communicate, or some people were able to transform sounds or 
take symbols and use it to represent sounds. This is what we call phonetics. They took symbols and used it to represent sounds. And those symbols that were used to represent sounds, when you put some of them together, it will represent a word. And if you put those words together, you could get sentences and sentences to uh, concept, paragraphs and concepts, if you see what I mean. This is what we then call alphabets. And some of them, you can see ancient ones on your screen right now. I know it seems crazy, like I'm sure people have always written, but no. The words that we have right now that are written and communicate sounds was a revolution and it was happening just around the, in the same region when the children of Israel were enslaved. So what then do you find when God 3,500 years ago told Moses, I want to give you the law and commandments, this high revelation from me, I want to give it to you and I'm writing it to my people for the instruction. You know what was going on? God was revealing high redemptive truth through high technology to Moses. And if you notice, as we said before at the beginning, that technology always transforms us. You see, irrespective of whether a bricklayer is, is uh, a bricklayer or, or a, um, a laborer is laying the foundation for a building that is for a brothel or for a missions agency, he will still suffer the same attrition in his body. He will still suffer the same body aches. He will still suffer the same fatigue. And irrespective of the form of revelation that was coming out, the form of technology, it always still transforms us. And this extends to let's take something like books and photography. Let's see how this technology always transforms us towards a certain destination. Now take this, we have started talking about words. Take this, later on, well, as, as people started writing, the problem was writing was very expensive. The material to use to write, the material that you write on, very expensive. And then if you wanted to copy somebody else's thoughts, right, you couldn't photocopy, you had to get a scribe who was going to write it. The problem with that is that there wasn't uniformity. One particular copy will have some, um, some differences. The other one will have some differences. There will be some words that were forgotten. Some words will also be added. So it's a very expensive uh, process, but it was also quite, um, it wasn't guaranteeing uniformity. Fast forward to the 15th century, around 1440, the printing press came. What did the printing press guarantee? Uniformity. You could now produce a particular script and you could produce an exact copy of it, uniformity. But this was the technology, this was the input of technology. So what do you expect it does? It transforms. Because now, as people are trying to communicate, now they want to communicate in books because people start publishing. Notice what happens. If you want to transfer a concept, if you want to explain your thoughts in book form, it has to be structured. It has to follow linear thoughts. Point A must lead to point B, must lead to point C. That's why you have chapters, right? That's how you that's why you have book divisions. Okay, so they had to be structured, it had to be logically arrayed, arranged. And so what do you think happened? It meant that the people who were both producing it and the people who were then consuming it themselves started to become logical in their thinking, analytical in their thinking. And so when you get into cultures where you have that is very literate, it produces certain kinds of people. And so in, the, in Europe, in the, in the, um, um, going further, it, produces all, it produced all kinds of revolutions, but produced different kinds of thinkers. It started producing uh, physical scientists. It started producing political scientists. It started producing social scientists. And it also started producing Bible scientists. We call them theologians. 
That is, people who think about their subject in a structural and systematic way. Even today, people who are quite literate in their thinking, they always prefer solutions in a structured, systematic way. On the other hand, take a medium like photography. Once it started becoming popularized, it also brought its own transformation. Because you see, while books hit us at the rational, Photography hits us at the emotional. It's about evoking emotion. When we look at a picture, it's about evoking emotion. What do I mean by that? There was a turning point in the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was really between about 1954 to 75. It was a terrible war. It was between the, uh, the northern communist Vietnamese and the southern uh, Vietnamese called the Viet Cong. They fought war for a long time, and at some point, America got involved. Now, at, um, there was a certain point in the war where the Southerners were frustrated with the lack of advance. The Southerners and the Allies, the United States, were frustrated with lack of advance on uh, fighting on the troops with the other guys. And so they now brought in a new form of weaponry. They would fly the planes. Uh, when they're flying the planes, they would drop this inflammable chemical substance called napalm that would go and burn their enemies. Imagine raining fire, basically, from, 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 from the skies. And in 1972, something happened. An unfortunate incident happened. Um, they went through and dropped napalm on a village that you had innocent people and they didn't know. And what if I told you that what then happened after then was that it dropped on little children, boys and girls, and then they were running through the street. How do you feel about that? I can tell you how you feel. Some of us are saying, hey, yeah, that's really sad. All right, please, can you carry on with the sermon? It's not that we don't feel sad. It's just that, you know, I have communicated it to you with words. It feels a little bit abstract. But what if I showed you this photograph? Now, how do you feel? See, it's actually different. You see, that picture was taken in 1972, and it's is one of the most iconic pictures uh, taken in uh, the 20th century. It's called the Napalm Girl. You see that nine-year-old naked running. She had to remove her clothes because the thing was burning her. And not long after this, this created an outcry because now the vividness of war was brought to the world's attention through an image. Within a year, America had pulled out of Vietnam. Within about two years of that, the whole war had ended. Because you see images rich in certain places that just word, mere words cannot reach. And images, it's, it's really the difference between the analytical and the emotional. It is IQ versus EQ. And I'm not trying to say anyone is better. In fact, some people actually make that mistake and say the rational is better. All I'm just trying to point out is that technology transforms us. We are much more moved by images than we are moved by words. Why do you think you have more subscribers to, in, uh, to Instagram than you have through, uh, with Twitter and Medium put together? Some of you don't even know what Medium is. Exactly. And this still affects us in other ways. Think about how people now, we can't really endure long reading. I'm not even talking about books. I'm just talking about things that uh, you know, communicate thoughts to us in a longer form. For instance, longer articles. We don't read that again. Most people are driven by headlines. How do you think that happened? Well, it was the introduction of the mobile phone. Because the mobile phone was able to, were able to talk to people anywhere at any time. However, then it wasn't just about communicating verbally. They started to have 
uh, the ability to communicate via, via uh, words. But it was going to be a small form. It was the introduction of the short messaging service, SMS. You had to say what you wanted to say within 160 words. And so you had to be brief. You had to, we then started forming different kinds of ways of writing. Now, if you wanted to write you, you didn't have to write Y-O-U because you had to fit everything in 160 characters. So you use you. And from that, with the, the dawning of the internet and people started texting more, then we now started chatting. As we started chatting, we started, the language started forming more and more. You were, it wasn't just called chatting, it was called instant messaging. It was about getting things in an instant. And you move from that, eventually people now started just reading headlines. We could not take the form of reading longer things again because technology transforms us. If you go on Facebook today, you put a certain post. After it passes a certain place, they put, they just uh, 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 collapse the whole thing and, and you have to click more to read everything. We are being programmed through the technology. It literally rewires us. And as it's rewiring us, it's transforming us to a certain destination. I do want to say this, not all of those destinations are good for us. And that takes me to my second point. All right, so the second point, transformation to the wrong destination. Have you ever wondered whether you went for a get-together uh, with groups of friends, and it's maybe a small party, and then um, you saw a picture, uh, sorry, you, you basically you, you got there, and what did you notice? It was something that looked like this. Yes, it's everybody looking at their smartphones, and whilst you are being together, you are not really being together, you are alone. In fact, an MIT professor called Sherry Turco calls this the concept of being together alone. What's going on here? Well, let's go back to Moses. Um, 1,500 years plus uh, after Moses, a guy called Paul was reflecting on some of the things that God had done with Moses. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, Paul reaffirms that the law is good. However, he says it is good when used lawfully. Because here in the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians 3.15, Paul says there is a way that you can take what is good, but actually not use it properly, and it produces something bad in you. Paul says here that when people read the instruction that was given uh, to the people of Israel through Moses, it was as though they were reading it with a veil covered upon their heart. When that happens, eventually that law produces and transforms us into what is not right. The problem is not so much with the law itself, but it is how we are reading it. In Jesus' day, he battled the people called Pharisees, and many of them, they were scholars in the law. But Jesus was saying that they were reading the law wrongly, and that is why he transformed them into cranks. They were mean, they were judgmental kinds of people. And it is the same thing, not just with the content, but also the medium through the which the content comes. I'm basically saying this, that you will be transformed to the wrong des uh, destination, not just with the wrong, or, uh, looking at the content with a veil heart, but also the technological medium as well. That brings me towards to what we call social media and smartphones. And I should warn you, this part is going to be heavily illustrated, and at the same time, it's going to take us a little bit of time. Most of our time is going to be spent here. Social media, um, and particularly, let's start with Facebook originally, was a media platform that was designed to connect you to friends that you have been separated from, maybe over a period of time, and maybe over distance. 
I joined Facebook in 2007, and I remember connecting with friends that I had not seen since primary school. But then, they had to continue to develop it. Now, don't forget, the real concept was to connect you to people that were already your friends, to enable you guys to socialize even more. Hence, social media. But then they got to a problem. It was becoming very popular, and they needed to invest more into developing the uh, platform. And so what happened? They needed investors. And so when you need investors, and investors pour in money, guess what investors need? Return on their investment. And so they now entered into a conundrum because this service was given for free. How are we then going to return money back to our investors? And they still wanted to keep it for free to the consumer. Yeah, you know exactly what happened. They needed to start advertising. They needed to draw advertisers. If they could get advertisers' money, that is the way they could then return money to the investors. But what were they then selling the advertisers? They had to sell the advertisers, people that will continue to engage in the medium so that the advertisers could then advertise to them. What is the use of bringing advertisers when there are not people there for them to bring their, uh, show their products to? And so you move from connecting people to investments, to advertisements, and therefore keeping people in the medium. The goal of keeping people in the medium necessitates you being addicted to that medium. I hope you are following me. If the people don't stay in the medium, then you cannot give them advertisements. But how do you keep them staying in the medium? You need them to be addicted to the medium. Now don't miss this because as I'm telling you, this is a fact Psychologists are working alongside programmers to keep us, uh, to develop algorithms that keep us addicted. There's a second problem, it's the addiction and it's the manipulation, but now I'm just talking about the addiction. But if you don't believe this, let me give you five reasons or five ways of describing or showing you this through a lot of the social media platforms that we use. The first is that a profile gives an identity. Whenever you join any of these things, you have to create a profile. You say your sex, you say where you're from, you probably say your date of birth, so certain things. What is this doing? It's trying to approximate your identity. It allows them to know something about you. And then the second thing is that it promotes the attention we give back. It promotes attention we give it back to us. It promotes the attention we give it back to us. As you start engaging in it, Certain things that you click on, certain things that you do, the, um, it, it gives them information about you. What I mean by this is really, you are being watched. Though. You are being watched and you are being listened to. And I don't mean somebody is hearing you. I'm saying the algorithms that are there, they collect data from you, your behavior, and then it starts to create a profile. It starts to make your profile more intelligent for them to understand. And because of that, they're able to then give you things that they think and believe that you would like. Why do you think sometimes you'd be like, how did, I, how did they know that video was the kind of thing I would like to watch? Because you are being listened to, your data is being collected, you are being watched, and then it is now suggesting, the algorithms are suggesting things to you. What is the whole goal of it? It is to keep you within. It is like 
Imagine, someone say, well, that's just like billboards, isn't it? Well, yes and no, because when you go on a highway and you see a particular billboard, you are looking at the billboard, the billboard isn't looking at you. The billboard isn't collecting information. Just seeing a billboard on the highway that advertises to all the people there is not, the accurate, um, uh, is not an accurate parallel of, of, of what is going on. An accurate parallel is not that many people on a highway and see a billboard. An accurate parallel is this. You are on your own highway, and as you look at a particular billboard and another billboard, the billboard is getting information from you. As you continue going down the road, it's giving you more billboards, more ads. Now much more intelligent about the things that you need or the things that you want. That's exactly what's happening. And linked to this is that this thing, it's, it's, it's built in a way to work for impulsive um, uh, uh, reactions. It's looking for impulsive and emotive reactions. That is, it's not working at the rational level. You know, when I want to choose maybe a particular song, let's say I created a playlist and I want to choose a song, I, oh no, let me use this, this other analogy. If someone comes with a needle and, try, and pokes me, here's what I don't do. I don't say, wow, the needle is sharp. And when a sharp thing touches my body, it may penetrate my body and make it hurt. It may make it pain me. And when something pains me, I am actually meant to react and jerk. So now it's time to jerk, and then you jerk. Is that how it happens? No. When somebody pokes you with a needle, you just jerk. Why? Because that action is getting a response from your senses. It is sensational. It is, it is not working at the rational. It's working at the sensational. And the way these things are built, they are built to... F uh, to f function at the uh, uh, at the sense level and not your rational level. I give you two examples of what that is. One of how that works. One is colors, colors. That is why your social media platforms are filled with certain kinds of colors, bright colors, for instance, right? Because it has been shown that when things are colorful, they they get the attention of people. But at the same time, certain experiments have also shown that part of the colors that actually get our attention the most are the ones that, are, that uh, belong to the family of red. And so what they do with the social media is to try to create a sense of urgency where there is no urgency. That's when notifications started coming in. And what colors are most people's notifications? Think about it. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook Messenger. That same color, red, it creates the urgent out of nothing. Another thing is that under this sense of, um, uh, uh, of working at your emotive responses is that it functions on the reward and punishment framework. What is the reward and punishment framework? This is what it, um, is, is, is present in most addictive things like drugs, alcohol, and maybe pornography. Reward and punishment. So, for instance, the punishment is when somebody says something bad, negative, on your comment line, what do you do? Do you just get up and leave? No, you're actually angry. You feel like you want to respond. And then you respond, and then the person responds back, and you keep responding. When you see somebody you don't like, say something. Maybe um, a, a particular artist, a particular activist, or a particular world leader, something you don't like, what do you do? You watch it. Punishment. It makes you feel bad. But what about the reward? 
is the dopamine rush. The dopamine rush we get when we see something we like. So when somebody retweets a tweet that you, that you posted, that green, that, ooh, or somebody likes something that you, that you, the comment you put on Facebook, or, 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 or somebody likes the post you put on Instagram, there's a dopamine rush that makes us feel good, and we want to keep seeing it. So we post something, we post something, we go, and then we come back to check whether how many people have liked it. What's happening? We are being sucked more and more into this. That's why you get some people literally at the point of addiction, they will say, please follow me back. If you follow me, I'll follow you back. They're trying to get followers. They're begging for people to follow them. Some people celebrate. You say, hey, this person is following me. Or look at this celebrity is following me. There's a dopamine rush that we get there because it works on a reward and punishment basis. I'll give you two more things. Have you never noticed this, what we call the pull and refresh? phenomena pull and refresh it is based on slot machines as you can see here slot machines what are slot machines they, they are gambling machines that make you feel like you are in control if you notice a slot machine you can see that it has a lever there you pull it and then it rolls uh, some of the things that that is telling you you can win oh you can win oh if you just form the right pattern but it gives you the illusion that you are in control so you keep pulling the lever if you check in many uh, social media apps, what do you do? If you pull something, refresh it. It gives you new content. It gives you new content. You feel like I've come to an end more, it gives you new content. And very, very closely related to that is the infinite scrolling mechanism. What's the infinite scrolling mechanism? It is the thing that, you know, if you just keep scrolling, it never ends. It never ends. On Twitter, on Facebook, it never ends. And studies have shown that we don't stop things from internal cues. We stop things with external cues. What do I mean by that? If there were two people who were given uh, food, right? One of them was a bowl of soup. One of them had a bowl that could refill itself. The other one, you needed to go to the waiter to ask the waiter to keep refilling it. The person whose bowl kept refilling itself actually took 72, well, but the people that uh, they carried this experiment on, 72% more than the person who needed who had um, an ex uh, who needed the waiter to come. In other words, the person who didn't get an external cue took more. The more we're in the social media app, if we have the infinite scrolling thing, we will not get out. If the thing ended on its own, you will get out of it because that's an external cue. Or if an emergency happened, you'll come out of it. But as long as you are using it yourself and there's an infinite scrolling thing and there's nothing externally to stop you from coming out, you will not come out. On YouTube, it's just the autoplay. You know what it is. After five seconds, you play this video. After five seconds, another one keeps coming. These things are designed to keep us in. And it's because of that you have relationship times that look like this. Or you have family times that look like this. You see, what is really happening is that most of us, we don't know it, are really, or some of us actually feel it, we are really locked in a social media prison with our smartphones just looking at it, and we are locked in prison, as you can see. The ironic thing about social media is that it has succeeded in making us more antisocial than it has in making us social. In fact, in Romans 6, 16, Paul, said, uh, Paul says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. We are like slaves. We think we are the ones telling it what to do. Help me find this. Help me search this. Help me do this thing. 
But in reality, as you can see, it is the one that is actually telling us what to do. We have become its slave. A worse thing, that's addiction. The other thing is manipulation. Have you ever received a message on WhatsApp that you know can never be true? Some kind of news. Somebody sent you. Maybe another person sent you. Hey, look at what's happening. Have you not noticed that there has been an increase in conspiracy theories? And this increase in conspiracy theories has happened as many people are saying that they are doing their research. Now, they are doing research quite all right, but most of this research is done on social media. What is happening? Don't forget that these social media algorithms that keep you um, uh, locked in to these social media platforms, WhatsApp, Facebook, all of these things, you are being watched, and when it's, you are being watched, it is taking you to content and to people that think and look like you. And the fact that it's moving you there, it makes you more like those kinds of people. That is, you started having an impulse to think in this way. And as it started moving you towards this person, you started becoming more and more like that thing. You started off with um, impulse to be like this, but now you have been transformed to being like this. And so there are people that know this. These are the people who have designed the, uh, the, the social media platform. There are people that are using it. There are some nefarious people that know this. And what did they start doing? They start to spread fake news because they know that you will impulsively react and you move towards them. And so when you think you are in this broad social media universe, in this broad internet universe where you are receiving a lot of information, no, you are in one small corner and you are being programmed with the kinds of news that are being put there. Now, at, at a less nefarious level, it helps us to buy certain people's products. But it also makes us join silly webinars. There are people that are always promising you if you join for, for free in this their class, that don't worry that within three months, you'll be able to make $3,000 every month, something like that. I'm sure you've seen it. If you click it once, the thing keeps coming. But at a deeper level, it makes people vote a certain way. Or it makes certain people hate certain people. It makes some people try to hurt certain people. In the last U.S. election, 2016, some people were spreading fake news that Hillary Clinton was running a sort of pedophile racket behind a particular restaurant. Eventually, a particular man went there with a gun and was ready to go and kill people. Fake news. And all of this happens because addicted people have been transformed to being manipulated people. Essentially, what I'm saying is that a heart-veiled use of social media technology, if we have a veiled use of it, our hearts are being veiled, a heart-veiled use of social media technology transforms us into the worst set of people. We become voyeurs. Some of us would not admit it, but you have certain profiles. You don't put a picture. You don't tweet anything. You don't say anything. You use your profile to be checking up on what people are doing. You just be checking, checking people, voyeurs. It makes us voyeurs, it makes us cranks, it makes us hateful people, it makes us addicts. In other words, it leads us to the wrong destination, making us less than what God wants us to be. So how can we be delivered? How can we be who God wants us to be? But before we do that, I do think that we need to stop being certain kinds of people. We need to stop the rot. We need to stop being transformed into what is making us become. And for that, I want to give us seven tips, just seven tips in how we can um, um, uh, stop the rot of being transformed to the wrong destination. 
So here are those seven tips. All right, so let's start. It's just some, right? One is this. Don't sign up for more than two, at most three social media platforms. I know some of us use it for our business and everything. They do a business profile. Don't start making it a personal thing. Don't sign up for more than two or three, right? It will consume too much of you. So don't sign up for more than two or three. If you have more than two or three, start deleting one now. Second is this. Turn off uh, notifications for all non-human um, uh, contact. For all non-human contact. Remember, the design of social media initially was to be able to connect us to human beings. Now, because of the addictive algorithms that have been set there, it's about connecting us to the platform, not connecting us to human beings. And so if somebody wants to call you, you should have notifications for people wanting to call you on your smartphone. You should hear that. If somebody sends you a message, a DM, of course you should hear that. But one of the things you should do is that you should turn it off for all these different suggestions. This person has started this live thing. This person, turn these things off. And better still, even within this second point, you can, second tip, one of the things you can do is that check your, your phones at certain periods. Have marked times that you set out. Maybe during lunchtime, 30 minutes, you can be checking your phone. All right? Third thing is when you are going to bed, this one, most people in City Church know I do this. Turn on airplane mode when going to bed. Turn on airplane mode when going to bed. There is nothing too urgent that must come during the night that is so urgent that it's going to come during the night. Your sleep is important. Turn it off, when, put it on airplane mode when going to bed. Four, and this is really important. Leave your phone elsewhere or turn it upside down when with family at church or with friends. Again, this thing creates a sense of urgency. Smartphones and phones create a sense of urgency that isn't there. It makes us connect more to things, to a platform, than to people. There will be people right in front of you, and you cannot talk with them. The problem with a lot of people that have grown up on these platforms is they don't even know how to converse with people. There are many of us who know how to converse more on WhatsApp. When you now talk with it, there are people I know. Even people in church, too awkward to talk to like this. But when you see them on social media, they're able to express themselves because you are being transformed. So when you are with your family at dinner, at dinner or lunch, when you get to the dining table with your, with your spouse, put your phone somewhere else or turn it the other way around whilst it's on silent. Let the person in front of you relate to that person as a person. And please, when you're in church, I remember being in gospel community one time, and yes, I had notifications on. I was in the gospel community, and as we were studying, I got a notification of a like of somebody that was inside the gospel community as we were studying the Bible. And she was studying the Bible. Oh, I said she. Oh, my gosh. She was studying the Bible on her phone. So it looked like she was studying the Bible, and she was liking a comment. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Turn it off or turn it, put it away. Number five and number six, together, I won't lie to you, they have, there are new things I have just done, and they help me cut my use of my phone, I am not kidding, by nothing short of 85 to 90%. And I measure this based on you know, phone activity that I can see. The combination of these two tips I'm going to give to you, they help me cut my phone usage by 85 to 90%, almost instantly. What is it? Remember what I said about colors? So here's what you should do. Make 
turn your phone into grayscale. Grayscale, that is just black and white. Remove the colors. I don't know, I, I use an iPhone, so I, 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 if you go to, I can't remember, is it accessibility setting or something, I can't remember. That's where you can do it. But maybe you can do it on some other smartphones. Turn it into grayscale. You know what you're doing? You're making your phone less interesting. Now you can't see any red. You can't see the notification doesn't hit you. It doesn't get to you at that emotive level. And here's another thing, number six. When you turn it on grayscale, then reorganize your home screen. Only put essential apps there. Social media apps, if you are not doing business, is not essential. And if you are doing business, have a separate phone for that. I put them far away. For me to get to those things, it takes a while. My home screen just has calculator, my uh, Bible, um, a call, those essential things. Now, when you've done all of these, it gives you the power number seven to now turn the master to the slave. Now use it. So th this way, you have now appropriated it for your own purpose. You have something to say on social media, go and say it, put it there. You have set out 30 minutes to go and check it out. At this time in the day, go and look at it. But for some of us, just use it for strictly your business purposes, use it for your ads, use it to make orders and all of those things. In this way, you will use it for what it was meant to use for. So in other words, I'm not saying get rid of smartphones or totally get rid of social media. I'm saying don't be its slave, be its master. Now with all of these tips, what, notice what I've just done. We are trying to stop the rot. It is showing you how not to be that thing but you see, to have a true identity is not just about not being that. You have to be something else. In other words, God doesn't just want us to stop being transformed to the wrong destination. He wants us to be transformed to the right destination. And where is that? Well, that's my third point. It's transformation to the right destination. We need to hurry this up and wrap this up now. All right. Now, one of the main uses of technology, as we know, is to enhance our appearance, right? We use makeup to enhance our appearance, fashion to enhance our appearance, gym equipment to enhance our appearance. By enhancing our appearance, we're trying to look more beautiful, more appealing to people's eyes, more magnificent. And an ancient way of referring to that is that we are trying to glorify, so we are trying to attain to glory in our appearance. But as we have also learned that when we use tech with, a veil, with, with veils upon our hearts, what happens? It makes us enslaved. We now do not look glorious, we look inglorious. It transforms us within and outside in ways that are not right. Eventually, we become enslaved. But God wants us to have freedom. How? But look at what Paul says in verses 16 to 18. When it comes to the law, he says, look, when the law is used wrongly, it transforms us into something that is wrong. But one of the things that the law does do is that it tells us about our inability, our moral inability. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that the law shows us what sin is. We will not have known what coveting is if the law didn't tell us that thou shalt not covet. So it shows us our inabilities. It shows us our shortcomings and deficiencies. In other words, it shows us that we are not where we are meant to be. It shows us that we have deficiencies in our glory. But it is not just by doing more and more and more and more of the Lord that you 
you are now become glorious. He says, no, you are not seeing the point of the law. If it is pointing your sin and it's not giving you the means of deliverance, it's pointing you to somewhere else. And that's why he says, only when you turn to Christ is the veil taken away in verse 16. When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And as this is done in verse 17, you get freedom. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is the one that takes it away and gives you freedom. And what is the result of that? If, as, as we with unveiled faces as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, get the right use of the law. And when you get the right use of the law by turning to Christ, the Spirit of Christ will start to transform you into ever increasing glory. If that is what we do with the content, it's exactly what we do with the medium of the content. What do I mean by that? I am saying that what we need, when we engage technology with veiled hearts, what we need is to look at what technology is really pointing us to. The technology is telling us that we need to be enhanced. The technology shows us our inabilities. It shows us our deficiencies. And that is telling us that we are not where we ought to be. The technology is telling us that we need to be transformed, transformed to a right destination. When we contemplate the wrong technology, we are being transformed to the wrong destination. But still, the availability of the technology tells us that we have deficiencies. It is pointing us to say we need to be transformed to the right direction. And where is that right direction? Where is that right destination? It is also to Christ. Only when you turn to Christ can the veil be taken away. I say, how does this work? How does this make me more glorious? Maybe I can use this example. It's about a guy called Kobe Bryant who tragically passed on what seems like an eternity, but it was actually earlier this year. You see, when Kobe Bryant was growing up, he wanted to be the greatest basketball player that ever lived. So what did he do? Kobe Bryant studied. He watched and he studied footage. To do what? To contemplate the glory of the game of the greatest ever at that point, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And then Kobe Bryant patented his game after Michael Jordan. Notice, he studied everything about him, and then he patented his game after Michael Jordan. What do you think the result was? Well, to show you the result, I want you to watch this two-minute video that compares the two of them. Michael Jordan's footage, obviously, is more of the older ones. He's normally wearing a red or white jersey. Kobe Bryant is newer ones. He's normally wearing a purple or a gold jersey. They're just a standard that's above in all cases. If you electronically switched the uniforms and played know. that at full speed, you would not have been able to tell who was who. This man, when you think about Michael Jordan, the closest to get to Michael has been Kobe Bryant. Can't we just agree that these guys are like phenomenal players and let's just move on? We gotta, we gotta do the one-on-one -on -one battle, huh? We gotta do it.
if you notice, Kobe didn't quite totally match NJ's accomplishment. He got close. And he didn't quite match his statistics. He got close. And he wasn't the exact style of MJ, but he was the closest thing, as you even heard in the commentary, that had ever come to being Michael Jordan. You see, Kobe transformed into an image of Michael Jordan by turning to him and contemplating the glory of his game. By following the glorious one, Kobe himself became a glorious one, basketball-wise speaking. And it's the same thing for us. We too can be transformed into ever-increasing glory. Why? Because we contemplate the glorious one. We turn to him. We turn to the glorious one. John 1 tells us this about this glorious one. Jesus, the word. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it then says that the word became a human being and dwelt among us. And then John utters these words. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Paul here says, and as we all, as we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Listen, there are people we like, they inspire us. There's nothing wrong. We're trying to learn from people who inspire us, but never try to come in the image of any other person. Why? Because when it comes to glory, they have nothing on Jesus Christ. Only want to be transformed into the utter glorious one. That is the only way we can be transformed into glory. The way we do it is by constantly contemplating the Lord Jesus Christ after we have turned to him, have you never turned to him? Your technology is actually telling you that you are not in the glorious state that you would like to be. It's showing you your deficiencies. It's showing you what you don't have. It's not for you to then turn to another form of technology. It's for you to turn to Christ. That is how the veil is taken away. And then as you turn to Christ in repentance and faith, what are you meant to do? You are meant to contemplate him. You are meant to contemplate his glory. You ask me, how do I contemplate his glory? Because that is the way the Spirit transforms you into ever increasing his glory. How do I contemplate his glory? You contemplate his glory through the means that he has given to us the same means that the wrong use of technology is trying to keep you away from. What do I mean by that? Read your Bible and pray. First thing in the morning, when you put your phone on, 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 on airplane mode before, uh, by the time you wake up, you cannot see any notifications. So if you want to read your Bible on your phone, you don't, you are not, you are not, the, the, the buzz of the day hasn't started coming. You can read your Bible, pray, contemplate the glory and the beauty of God. Because once you get into the world, the world is trying to tell you something about you. It's trying to tell you something about it that isn't true. But you have started your day with the Lord. Never, never, ever, ever, as much as lies within you, don't miss collective worship of the saints of God. You may give one excuse. I slept late. Eh, I, 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 I didn't feel like... This, the problem is that these are the means that God has given us to be able to come and contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are there, stop feeding on social media. Put your smartphone away so that you can contemplate the glory of Christ. Have your personal devotions. Have your couple devotions so that with you and the people that you love, you can contemplate Christ. Join a community for crying out loud and stick to it. It's not enough to just come for collective worship. 
your smartphone is always taking you into into you say you don't have time but it's always somehow stealing time away from you how about you contemplate the lord jesus christ with the community of saints that's giving you in city church we do that with our gospel communities go and see the glory of christ there stick to it practice generosity be on mission try to evangelize people seek to hear the lord's voice practice singing some of us are on youtube all the time and you don't even have a christian song playlist just play it in the background practice worship through song ask him for justice in the land contemplate the lord jesus christ and see yourself transformed from one glory to another Contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ and let him bring you on the glory journey. What do I mean by the glory journey? Is that we start with glory once we turn to him. And then as we are in and we continue to contemplate him, he still he keeps transforming us into glory. And then at the end of it all, what do you think it is? It is glory. Why do I say that? The same Paul in Romans 8 verses 28 to 30 says this. He says there are people who love God. If you really truly love God, it means that you are called according to God's purpose. Remember, technology is about transforming something for purposeful use. God says when he calls you, it's for a purpose. What is that purpose? He says for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. He had ordained already a destination for them. What is that destination? Conformity to the image of his son. The purposeful use is to conform you, to conform you into the image of his son. And like, what is that? Oh, then he now gives us how this works out in time. You see, the predestiny worked out before time. He said, but those who are predestined, he called. And when he calls them, when they turn to him, upon his call, when they turn to him, then they, they see the glory of Christ. They become glorious. And then when they believe, he justifies. Those who are predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. As he's justified them and he's given them a new status, they now start to contemplate him and see in the spirit they are being changed from one image of glory to another and what do you think happens at the end those whom he justified he does what he glorifies being conformed into the image of Christ is the final destination you see when you first come you are in Christ and then as you contemplate Christ you are being transformed into Christ and as you continue being transformed into Christ guess what happens you come into full conformity in Christ when he comes glory is your destiny when you turn to Christ our technology is trying to transform us into something, but only when we turn to Christ can we be transformed into glory. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.